And welcome to the Sikkim Sportscast. I'm Steve Cook, here with your editor and publisher, Kevin Longquist. How you doing, Kevin? I'm pretty good, uh, Stephen. Good to be with you again. Okay, and let's uh, do a quick wrap-up on Baylor TCU and then look ahead to the Texas Longhorns. That game at TCU, everybody who wasn't rooting for Baylor probably kind of loved that game unless they were sitting in the stands <laughs> getting rained down. Pretty miserable conditions. I was actually at a uh, – uh, I do Alito on the weekends, and, of course, they played the same night, so I was dealing with those conditions the same – uh, for basically the same amount of time, and it was just not a night to play football out there. Of course, that's a natural grass field out there at Amon Carter, and it's just a it's the conditions weren't right for anyone. There's it, those are just games where you just kind of hope that you can find a way to win and survive. Baylor had a chance when it blocked a punt in the fourth quarter deep in TCU territory. They couldn't take advantage of it, and they wound up turning it over on a Chris Johnson fumble. And obviously, we get to the second, we go to double overtime uh, where TCU scores. Baylor has a fourth and short at the TCU 16-yard line. They get stopped, and that's the end of the game. Um, you know, Art Browse talked about maybe they didn't have the right formation there on that fourth down call, but, you know, give credit to TCU for making a stop. And obviously with the Big 12 championship and the national playoff hopes uh, now by the boards, uh, there's still plenty to play for here against Texas on Saturday where they have still the opportunity to win 10 games in a regular season uh, win uh, and get to double-digit wins for the fourth time in the last five years beat Texas five times out of the last six seasons, uh, and, and the chance to play for the Sugar Bowl. They win this game, they're going to the Sugar Bowl. The tiebreakers in the Big 12 are already established, so there's plenty of enough for this program to play for, and we'll, we'll obviously just have to wait and see how it all plays out Saturday morning in this early Saturday afternoon. Baylor fans really got whiplash because before the Friday game, if Oklahoma State beat Oklahoma, Baylor had a chance to win a third Big 12 title. Mm. Once TCU beat Baylor, everybody quit going, go Oklahoma State, and started going, go Oklahoma, because if Baylor can take care of business against Texas, as you said, they go to the Sugar Bowl, and the TCU game doesn't really end up making any difference except for bragging rights, and I think some of our fans at the site have commented that it, it hurts their soul for Gary Patterson to walk around happy for a year. Well, that's just the nature of the rivalry. Well, that was the 111th meeting, and the series is 52 wins for each, along with seven ties. And so it kind of says it all about that rivalry over the years, doesn't it? It's just kind of the way that game is. I mean, look, what was it, four out of the last five years, Baylor Baylor TCU has come down to practically the last play. They won on a last-moment field goal in 2011, and Robert Griffin's Heisman Trophy year, obviously TCU won big the following year in 2012. And then they get the interception late in, at Eamon Carter um, at, the, in the, at the end of the end zone with about 11 seconds to go to hang on and win that. Then they get the game-winning field goal when they probably had no business winning that game in 2014, 61-58. Uh, to 58. And then TCU makes a play. It's just That's just what this rivalry is. Somebody makes a play at the end, and it just shows you that they're pretty even, and that's probably the way this thing is going to start – going to keep looking as long as both these programs recruit well, play hard, and are in the middle of the Big 12 championship race year after year. Yeah, absolutely. It, does make, it makes for excitement. Now, in one way, it's kind of hard to tell because of, like everybody says, conditions and all that kind of good stuff. We look ahead to the Texas Longhorns. Chris Johnson is going back in his 
Oklahoma State, second half, and his game against Texas, he's sitting here. He is, I think, 12 out of 34 for 200 yards, a 35% completion rate, 5.8 yards average, uh, three TDs, two interceptions. What does that look like to you when the Bears go against the Longhorns? Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those – it's it's a game where there's a lot to play for. Obviously, Baylor – or excuse me, obviously, both teams are pretty beat up. Uh, Texas has uh, probably more significant injuries just because the fact that they don't have uh, two of their running backs and uh, Cousins and Foreman who will be available. They lost their leading tackler on their defense, Peter Jenkins, uh, to a torn ACL, so he's done for the year. That really hurts them. Hassan Ridgeway, one of their top defensive linemen, he's got a bad – he's got a bad wheel – and he's questionable for uh, Saturday. Uh, you know, in Baylor's case, they got us a, they got a little better news on Wednesday. It looks like Shock Linwood's on the mend. He's making some progress. Looks like he might be not at full strength. You're never at full strength this time of the year, but he's probably improving. The, he, he's improving. Bo Blackshear sounds like he's going to return to the lineup after missing uh, the last couple of games with his injury. He got hurt against Oklahoma and obviously didn't play in the second half of that game, and then missed Oklahoma and TCU. Uh, and then, of course, um, you know, Orion Stewart, who's got the hamstring issue, just have to wait and see about that. And, um, and Chris Johnson, we trust for the second consecutive week as the starting quarterback, and that's just the way Baylor's going to have to roll. Something happens to Chris Johnson. We're really not sure who's going to be lining up behind center. They well, I know it's references. not going to be you, and I know it's not going to be me. So that, that, <laughs> that, that, that's good so far. Well, I think they're almost going to be having to look at going wildcat if Chris Johnson can't line up under center at some point. No, I'm not joking. I mean, you're looking at they're going to have to stick either uh, Corey Coleman or uh, uh, Lynx Hawthorne uh, back there. Or Zach Zach Benema. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be Zach Benema. It's going to be tough. Well, it Mm -hmm. is. I mean, when you just get down to that part of the year, and I think, like I said, the, the lesson that Baylor has learned from this is, you know, and even our talked about it on the Big 12 coaches' call, segment this week was you've got to have enough you, you can't have too many quarterbacks and Baylor's been kind of living on the edge here a little bit with its quarterback depth uh, in recent years where they didn't really have to feel like they needed to get an extra one in there well obviously they learned this year they probably need to get a second they probably need to have more now they'll be in a better position next year you know should Seth Russell you know return to full strength and I know his dad has said that he will but look I know what parents say, but they're kind of emotional. You just kind of have to let the medical process and the recovery process play itself out before anyone really knows. I hope for Seth's sake that he's back because if he does, if he's back, then you got Seth Russell, you got Garrett Stidham, then you got Zach Smith who comes in in January, and then Chris Johnson. You're just in a far better position, whereas, you know, these last couple of years, Baylor's been kind of living on it, and they've been kind of cheating the odds a little bit, and now they're not cheating the odds anymore. They kind of got bit by the odds. They caught up with them. So, they're just going to have to live with this. And then, of course, if they're fortunate enough to beat Texas, then they're going to go down to the Sugar Bowl. And even if they don't go to the Sugar Bowl, you know, whatever bowl they wind up going to, uh, they would be in a position where uh, hopefully Jared Stidham will be, will be able to recover well enough by the time you know, that bowl game is going to be played in late December so that the fractures in his ankle and his leg will be well enough for him to return and uh, play at some kind of level. When Baylor has the ball, I kind of expect Texas to try to stack the box on Baylor. And, totally agree. You know, yeah. and dare them to try and beat them. Can Baylor do that? It should be a nice 
football weather, can Chris Johnson make Texas pay if they try to stack the box and say, okay, Chris Johnson's got to beat us? Well, Texas has 36 sacks this year, which is a pretty good number uh, in the conference. Now, obviously, they're losing them losing Peter Jenkins really hurts uh, in that respect. Uh, I, I would suspect that Vance Bedford, uh, Texas' defensive coordinator, will try a few more blitz packages, stack the box. It's to try and force uh, Johnson into making a bad decision, and I wouldn't blame him for doing that if he can do that. Uh, if, if you're Baylor, I kind of think that if you if shock is a little bit more effective, then I would think that he'll get a uh, he'll get a healthier number of carries. But this has been kind of working a lot better, kind of working like they hoped it was going to work at the beginning of the season, that you were going to have the three-headed monster between and between Shock and between Devin Chaffin and uh, Johnny Jefferson. Now, why Jefferson didn't play, maybe with some blocking, some pass-blocking assignments and just effectiveness, or maybe some you know banged-up injuries that no one really talked about that were bothering him. Devin Chaffin, obviously, he's been dealing with some injuries throughout his career, basically. So he wasn't 100% healthy. So now the running back situation is going to have to carry him. I think this is going to be a game plan for Baylor, what we've seen pretty much in the last two weeks, where it's, they're going to rely heavily on the running game, and they're not going to ask Chris Johnson to be uh, to do much of anything. He's going to he's going to fit the mold like a lot of what you hear with NFL uh, player with NFL quarterbacks that aren't a Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers or something like that. It's just manage the game and find a way to get us to the end. Uh, and don't make the mistakes. And I think that's really what they're going to ask of Chris Johnson. Just make a couple throws here and there and let the running game and the defense take care of it. Because I think the defense has really played well uh, since the Kansas State game. Defense really carried them through this last uh, the, these last games as much as it could. And against TCU, the defense played pretty darn well. Everything considered, they held TCU to what, 302 yards or something like that? You know, by 320 some odd yards there, and mm-hmm. and and 14 points. So it was a so. I mean, their defense has played their guts off, uh, their their butts off the last you know, four games of the year. And they played pretty well against Kansas State, even though they couldn't get K State off the field. But you know, they still hold they still hold K State to 24 points. Um, they they thought they stepped. I thought they played really hard and physical against Oklahoma. Baker Mayfield made some plays. The, the points that they gave, you know, they hold Oklahoma State to eight rushing yards, and a lot of the yards that Oklahoma, Oklahoma State gets in the fourth quarter and the points that they score are a little bit misleading because, you know, that game was pretty much over after the third quarter. And, of course, the numbers like we just spoke of at TCU speak for themselves. And obviously with Texas's offensive problems, uh, the fact that they're you know, pretty much down to Chris Warren and maybe Tyrone Swoops doing a little bit of here and there, that pretty much is where we're at. Chris Warren – has he's been on the field a few times for Texas. They didn't think they had anything special, obviously, because he wasn't getting that many carries. Then he blows up against Tech. Was he great, or is Tech just the worst tackling team in the history of the universe? I think it's the latter, and I think it's the fact that with the running back situation the way it was with um, uh, the running back situation the way it is uh, with Texas, that he took advantage of his opportunities. So, Look at it from that perspective. Um, I think you know, Chris Warren's a great back. I mean, Baylor loved him. Baylor was after him pretty hard early in 2014 uh, before it changed course and went elsewhere. Um, but at the same time, I think that it's a case where Chris just took advantage of it. And uh, The Texas Tech game is just, you know, good for Chris. I'm glad that it worked out. And he had a great time. He's a great kid, by the way, um, in mm-hmm. the times that I talked to them during the recruiting season. But, you know, on his 91-yard touchdown run, 
know, he's trapped in the backfield by one of the tech defenders who doesn't who doesn't have the mechanics to wrap him up and not and, and tackle him. And then he gets hit at the line of scrimmage. Same thing happens there. And then he's hit about the 13 yard line where there could have been a minimal pickup. And that's basically an arm tackle. And he's off 91 yards later. It's just it was pretty pathetic, is what it was. And so, but you know, tech. Still won the game. If Hurd can't play, I have a very hard time imagining Swoops being able to make the big pass plays that they would need if they're going to count on anything other than trying to run that 18-wheeler package and essentially run a wildcat. That's what we're going to be looking at. Uh, I think it's going to be a much closer game than a lot of other people think. You know, Baylor, I think, is like a 21-and-a-half-point favorite, something like that. Texas is seven points from being seven and four instead of four and seven. Like Bill Parcell said, you are what your record says you are, but they were very close in a lot of games, and they played a tough out-of-conference. Kevin, I'm going to switch over and talk to Matt Quire about some of the recruits, one of whom will be coming to the game, and then when we get back, Let's kick over the some of the conference championship games that are coming out, okay? Sounds good. We're here with Matt Clare, Rivals Recruiting Guru. Matt, first of all, I guess it's happened a little bit ago, but uh, Brandon Autry just committed to the Bears. What can you tell me about him? Well, I can tell you that, uh, you know, it's a, it's a pretty good pickup. You know, he had a... He had a lot of offers from from colleges around the country, and I think it's a pretty cool story. We kind of see these with uh, junior colleges uh, prospects from time to time. Uh, if you go back and look, he's a young man from state of Alabama, came out in 2014, uh, and he was still big, 6'5", 317 at the time, uh, but he was a two-star prospect, and his only offer was from Western Kentucky. So he had to get the grades right. Uh, but he, you know, he's apparently he's done that. And, you know, the, the good part about having someone like that on the line is I think we've talked about the, the opportunity here for recruits because we get onto these podcasts and, you know, that's the first thing you say is, yeah, the offensive line is losing some seniors. So, you know, we knew all along covering this recruiting class that the coaches were looking to add a junior college offensive tackle. And, uh, you know, they've certainly done that with Brandon, who, who, by the way, goes by BJ. Um, but regardless, he uh, was committed to the University of Florida, and now uh, he, you know, late October decided to reopen things. You know, the Baylor coaches had always stayed in touch with him and took his visit, and, and you know, now he's ready to become a Baylor Bear. Okay, and uh, so he had the grades. He went the JUCO route, and one of the real advantages that they've got is that, uh, you know, when the kids come from the JUCO route, you only get them, you don't get them for the whole four years, but uh, when they come in, they've already played at a collegiate level. Yeah, I mean, and, and especially you can see a kid like that that, you know, maybe wasn't highly thought of uh, right out of the high school ranks. He's probably matured and his body's probably matured. And, you know, I know the Baylor coaches are going to get him in, in much more of a strenuous strength and conditioning program than probably what he had at Coffeeville. But when you look at any type of JUCO, we've, we've talked about this before as well, Coffeeville, uh, any of these JUCOs in that Kansas City uh, Midwest area, I mean, those are all you know highly competitive leagues, and that's where you see a lot of the uh, higher-ranked JUCOs coming out of. So, you know, like I said, uh, another great land for the coaching staff here. 
Okay, and you know another thing that uh, when you mention up bringing up him, we're going to be talking about another uh, prospect later. But Baylor is not just staying in Texas anymore. You know, for the first little while, they were just recruiting. You know, basically within about a 500 mile radius of uh, Waco. You know, and they might reach out a little bit. But now, you know, this is coming out of Kansas, and this is a kid that was looking at Oklahoma, was looking at Florida. So this is kind of a national prospect. Uh, type of kid. This isn't just somebody that was going to stay close to home. No, I mean, he had an offer from Oklahoma, so you beat a Big 12 rival, uh, and, you know, obviously now it's someone who's tried to take the championship away, right? So it's a recruiting win there. Uh, Arizona State, Arkansas, you know, like we talked about, Florida, um, Ole Miss, I mean, you know, there's just plenty of offers, and like I've said, you know, plenty of times, you know, these recruiting pages aren't always 100%. We do our best to, to track every single offer, but there's usually, you know, maybe one or two of them that, that aren't there or, or that aren't current. That's especially the case with JUCO players. Yeah, and uh, and I understand that because the schools have to be very limited on what they say uh, about the players, and so it's entirely up to there, – there's no official place to say where an offer comes from. You've got to dig that out. Uh, okay. All right. And the next one that we wanted to talk about is another uh, – this kid's a four-star, uh, Brandon Jones, safety out of Nacogdoches. Uh, tell me about him. Tell me about Baylor's prospects with him. Well, I mean, in terms of Baylor's prospects with him, uh, you know, he's he's visiting again, and he's coming to watch a football game. So I would say that – uh, if anything, they're, they're in the game. And I gotta tell you, Steve, I mean, Brandon Jones, I, I see kids at camps, I see kids at practices and games. You know, there are some kids where you see them and you're like, okay, you know, they're, they're just no brainers. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, that's, this is one of the kids that I've seen that, that definitely, he already looks the part. He's, he's six foot, six foot one and, and a solid 200, 205 pounds. I mean, this kid is strong. And, and not only is he is he built in like a, uh, a typical safety, but I mean he's fast. And so I just I think that the 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 sky is the limit for this kid. I mean he he has NFL potential written all over him. And for Baylor to have you know a kid like this coming back, I mean just it really goes to show all of the success that they've had on the field is starting to correlate to you know the message that they're sending kids and and the environment they're creating when these kids like a Brandon, you know, come by in the summer and spend some time with the coaches. So, I mean, I think it's, uh, you know, very significant. So I'm supposed to talk to him later this evening, and I'll get some quotes, and, and I'll get his opinion on where things stand with him. But if you name any college, he probably has an offer from them. He's, he's that good. So I would say arguably one of the top prospects in Texas, uh, you know, one and two, uh, it's either him or Greg Little. And then on top of that, you know, same thing, one of the best safeties in the nation, hands down. Yeah, uh, I was just looking at his uh, recruit list, and I'm, I, I might be wrong, but I believe that every team in the top ten has made him an offer. Uh, you know, so he's pretty good. Uh, and that, and, and you know, it's uh, he's he's got all the measurables. This is one where he's not a secret. This isn't a diamond in the rough. This is a diamond. Yep. Okay. I mean, All there's, right. you know, like I said, uh-huh. I mean, I'll have to talk to him and, and get you guys some more details. 
But, I mean, mm-hmm. if, you, if, if you're a fan of any school and he's taken uh, a visit to one of your games, I, I'd say it's significant. He, he came uh, through in the summer, spent some time with the coaches, um, and, and enjoyed his time then. And like I said before, you know, uh, when you when your program is consistently rated in, not only if you think about the past two years, not, not just the top ten, but the Baylor program has been talked about uh, ever since the uh, – existence of the college football playoff, which is just marketed and, and thrown in the uh, the media on TV, Twitter, online, et cetera. I mean, these kids are seeing the Baylor name a lot, and especially with kids here in the state of Texas, it's not just a – I mean, it long gone are the days of A&M and, and UT being the no-brainer, everybody commits there type of stuff. I mean, they're mm-hmm. – you know, Baylor, TCU, some of these other schools, they're, they're definitely kind of – staking their claim to some of this with the success that they're having. Uh, and the other thing that you mentioned on that is with him being a safety, uh, you know, it's very – you know, Baylor for a long time was known as an offensive machine, and now they're in the mix for some defensive players because you can scheme all you want to, but if you don't have the bodies that are capable of making the plays, it's not going to work. And it looks like Baylor's starting to get into the mix on the defensive side of the ball for some of the top players also. Yeah, I mean, well, I think especially, you know, we talked off the top with uh, with uh, B.J. or, or Branton, uh, you know, committing. Mm-hmm. Uh, before that, you had uh, Devin, and then you we talked mm-hmm. about that a few weeks back, Trendavian coming in. I mean, if you look across this offensive uh, recruiting class, I mean, I would have mm-hmm. to say unless a, a no-brainer prospect just, you know, comes into the – picture that, that they might be done on that side of the ball. So I think a lot of what you'll see will be uh, defenders and, and, you know, different uh, positions, you know, especially the defensive line. Yeah, and speaking of that, uh, we've got one other guy, and I think you said that he's a little bit tricky to get a hold of because he uh, is once again a very, very well-respected candidate, Amani Bledsoe. And he's at, listed as a defensive end. Uh, what can you tell me about him? Well, yeah, I mean, not necessarily difficult to get hold of, but we have, you know, one of our colleagues in the Rivals Network runs our uh, Kansas City, Missouri uh, high school site. And uh, his name is Kevin Withers. And so he was going to reach out and he's going to get a hold of Amani for us. And yeah, I've tried a few times, but the bottom line is he's coming to visit Baylor this weekend. He's another kid that has offers from a ton of different schools. He's uh, the the number 145 prospect in the nation in our rivals 250, and you know he plays defensive end, uh, <clears throat> six five, 270 plus pounds. I mean, so you're talking about a kid that's already big enough to come in and, and be a bookend type of, of end and really set the edge. And, and then you know if he's already that big now and, and that talented. You know the the potential that he might have to, like I said, get into a college program. You know, get that college coaching and strength and conditioning. The 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 you know the prospects for him are through the roof as well. So so I know that, like I said, he has a ton of offers. But Baylor, you know, of course Kansas and Missouri because of proximity. But uh, Oklahoma, mm-hmm. Oregon, and, and UCLA are some of the other schools that are involved here. And, and again, you know, Armani is. I wouldn't say he's quiet or tough to get a hold of. It's just he doesn't do a ton of interviews. And earlier in the process, when he was getting all the offers left and right, I think that's when he was like, all right, I'm not going to do all the media stuff. But um, he's focused in on those schools, and, and Coach Acuff has not stopped recruiting him. And, again, you know, on the, along that defensive line, 
that's really where the coaches need these players, and it's really where they need the depth. So uh, it, it'll be really interesting to get his thoughts uh, on, on where things stand with Baylor, especially after the visit. Yeah, and, you know, one of the things when you're looking at, when we talk about, like, uh, you know, Brandon Jones and uh, Amani Bledsoe, uh, these guys are four stars. They've got offers from, you know, if you recognize the helmet logo, they've got an, these guys have an offer from them. And so, you know, at a lot of point in time, at a certain point in time, being, you know, 16, 17, you know, 18 years old, it's got to get kind of intimidating to be getting as many calls as they're probably getting. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, it's, uh, it's the age old deal. I mean, we, I think we've covered this, uh, before, but so like I said, with the, uh, with the college football playoffs, I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, now the recruiting stuff is, it's, of course, it's online, but it's social media. And of course, we're calling these kids. And really, if you think about it throughout the course of the year, everything's going great in the summer. We're at camps. We're interviewing them. There's videos. There's all kinds of features. Well, then the season starts and things kind of slow down a little bit because kids are in school. Kids are, you know, playing football on Friday nights, and you know, certainly they're taking some visits here and there. But also, you're seeing more and more commit uh, kids commit early. Uh, you're seeing, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, for example, Texas Tech I cover, you know, they had uh, what was it, 23 commitments before the season even started. So I mean, imagine that. Uh, I mean, what else is there to really report on after that? And I think you've seen some of that with this Baylor class as well. Some mm-hmm. of these kids that have committed. Uh, you know, they're long-time targets. It's not like the coaches just started talking to them and said, you know, hey, you were next on our list. So, um, you know, it's been pretty interesting to follow. But, I mean, gosh, you, if you can get, uh, you know, forget, you know, the, the names, right? But if you can get mm-hmm. the uh, the level of talent that they're going after, um, whether it be four-star, three-star, et cetera, I mean, some of these kids, you just look at the offer list, you look at the size. Um, you know, if these coaches are going after them and they land that kind of talent, you got to look at both sides of the ball and really consider if this is, you know, unarguably really the the best recruiting class in this modern you know era of rankings and stars and all that. You know, the, the other classes that they've landed have certainly been impressive, and I think people impress the you know or excuse me uh, respect the heck out of, of Browse mm-hmm. for being able to find under the radar talent. But but now mm-hmm. that they're after you know some of these bigger fish pretty interesting to see how it's all come together i mean right now like i said you've got to close out on the defensive side but on the offensive side i've got to say it's one of the best offensive classes in the entire nation no question and welcome back to the sikkim sportscast kevin this is playoff weekend and before we make our picks on the scores for baylor texas uh let's talk about some of the other games that are coming up now one of the ones going to be coming up is going to be the ACC championship game. That is the number one Clemson Tigers against the number 10 uh, North Carolina Tar Heels. Give me your take on it. Well, it's a great comeback story by North Carolina, who which lost its opener to South Carolina. And unbeknownst to just pretty much all of college football, they've been the team that football forgot this year, where they've run off 11 straight and they won their division, obviously. And uh, are playing for a conference championship. They're actually ranked high. They could be ranked higher than their basketball team. I think they're ten, they came in at number ten in the latest college football rankings. The basketball team's number nine, and uh, you rarely see that in North Carolina. North Carolina hasn't won an ACC championship since 1980. 
They've got a really good defense under the direction of Gene Chizik. Uh, I think that they'll absolutely give Clemson a lot of fits. Uh, there's going to there's going to have to be a lot of plays made by by Deshaun Watson. Um, but I'm going to go with Clemson in this just only because that I think that uh, it's a team that's driven. I, I, we've heard the we've heard the talks in the years past where these past Clemson teams when it came to a game of decision where they were they, they just found the way to not make the play to win the game and they did they done they started to do that they did that with Notre Dame back in September. Um, and I, they've just, you know, they, they had to hold off a serious charge from South Carolina. Um, and it's not going to be easy every week. Let's, we just have to understand that. But I think Clemson will get it done. And it should be a great game. In fact, I think it's going to be a sellout there in Charlotte uh, for that game on Saturday night. But uh, I'm looking forward to a great ball game. But I think Clemson pulls it out and it is going on to the playoffs. I'm going to go Clemson also. Clemson has played, you know, some pretty, the good teams. They've beaten, you know, Florida State. They've beaten Notre Dame. Uh, North Carolina, not missing on their 11-1, and one, but they beat one ranked team, and that is number yeah. 23 Pitt. So, right. hey, guess what? I really think that Clemson is just a better team. Now we go back to, and, you know, you're hearing mutterings of, hey, could the Big Ten get two into the college football playoffs because Ohio State sitting out there with one loss, and they're done for the season, but now you have uh, number five Michigan State playing number four Iowa. Michigan State eleven and one, Iowa twelve and zero. But again, some questions about the schedule. How do you read this game? Great football game. I, I think the fact that Connor Cook is back for Michigan State as their starting quarterback, and of course Baylor knows all about him. Michigan knows all about him in recent years. Ohio State knows. I think the thing that Michigan State does. Stephen, over the years, um, and I looked this up, they have won so many games late with their special teams, whether if it's a blocked punt, a blocked field goal, a blocked extra point, a return, or something along those lines, that it's really just they've found a way to make plays at the end of games to pull them out. And I'm not dissing on Iowa because Iowa's had a great season. I mean, they they beat Wisconsin. They beat Minnesota. Uh, they, they won at Nebraska to – uh, to go on and go 12-0 and for the first time in school history. It's a bunch of no-names that Kirk Ferentz has put together there. Um, it's a solid group. They've won. A, they've done everything that's been asked. And I think they also beat Pitt earlier this year as well. But, uh, you know, give them credit. I, I think the Hawkeyes are going to make this really close. It would not surprise me if Iowa won this game, but I'm going to go with Sparty by a field goal. I'm going to go with Michigan State also. Uh, just pulled up. They've beaten number 19, Wisconsin, at the time, number 19, and number 20, Northwestern. And right. other than that, they haven't beat a ranked team. So, you know, it's a, hey, look, it's a, it's a good schedule, but there are several teams that might have gone undefeated with that schedule. But right. the fact is, Iowa did go undefeated. However, Michigan State does have that ability. They never seem to get shook up. They just, Keep playing their game and expect good things to happen. Right. All right. Now we move to the conference that everybody's kind of saying, well, they don't really have a chance to get a team in. That is the Pac-12. And you have number seven, Stanford, playing number 20, USC, for the championship. And Stanford uh, killed Notre Dame's hopes for the playoffs last week, and USC has been playing much better now that Sarkeesian is gone. 
So give me your readout on this. Give me fight on um, to to win this game. I'm going to give the Trojans. Uh, I'm going to call the Trojans in in an upset here. Um, you know, it's nothing against Stanford, but Stanford's had some issues this year sometimes where they've gotten beat up. Uh, you know, they, they lost surprisingly at home to Oregon uh, earlier this year uh, at home. Uh, you know, they lost on the road. They played a brutal schedule. I mean, Stanford's schedule might be the best uh, schedule in the country. I think it actually is rated as the number one schedule in the country. Um, but I'm just gonna I'm gonna give it to the, I'm gonna give it to 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 SC. I think you know there are a lot of experts out there, if you will, that kind of are of the opinion of who just don't believe that Clay Helton was the right choice uh, as their permanent head coach. This is the second time Clay Helton's had to run this program in light of the fact when there's something when something else has happened uh, in, in light of a coaching change. So he understands the system. He's a He's kind of what you would call a lifer within that system. Um, you know, the, the, the locker room has rallied around him. I realize that's not the way you should really look at it uh, because it's probably not fair. Um, but I, I, you know, but USC played Stanford way you know, really early in the season, lost forty-one thirty-one. I think the Trojans, you know, they went five and two under Clay Hill. I think they're going to win this game, Stephen. I don't know why, but I think they're going to pull this off and, and knock off Stanford because no one else thinks they're going to win. I'm going to go with the Trojans here. This is a tough one for me. Uh, I'll take Stanford just so we won't think the same thing each time. Uh, <laughs> I do think that Stanford is a good, solid team. Oh, they don't beat is themselves. Awesome. Yeah, he's a great kid, yeah. And they don't beat themselves. Uh, I, I agree with you, though, that this is not the same USC that started the season. It, mm-hmm. This is a very different team, and it's a better team. Yeah, uh, I think that's the way they finished yeah, and remember, they played Notre Dame really tough in South, and they had the lead in that game late in the fourth quarter, mm-hmm. late in the third quarter, going into the fourth quarter before they just made a couple of mistakes that really cost them up there. So it's not. So the Trojans, uh, I, I think they're in plus the fact they're still kind of getting through their whole issue with their probation and losing all these scholarships. I'm going with the Trojans here. Okay, and I'll take Stanford, but I'm not uh, in love with it. Now here's the one. Uh, I'm, I'll, I'll go ahead and, boy, I'm jumping out on a limb here. But I think Alabama is going to whip up on Florida pretty good in the SEC championship game. Uh, Florida is 10-2. and two. There is so much difference between the SEC East and the SEC West. Brutal. And, yeah, I don't think, yeah, we don't need to talk much about this. I, I think what I think if yeah. Florida's going to have any hope about this, and their defense is pretty good. Their offense is, is horrendous. But I, I think if you're if you're Florida – you know, they don't have any quarterback play, too, obviously. They've, they've kind of dealt with some issues there. But having said that, mm-hmm. I think the floor, the only way Florida finds a way to win this game is they stack the box against Derrick Henry. They limit his, you know, they, they limit every, they limit the yards after contact, basically. Uh, and then they force Jake Coker to, to, uh, make some plays downfield. And Alabama's defense is extraordinary. It's a really good group. I get all that. But I've said, as much as I've watched Jake Coker over the season, starting from the opener against Wisconsin to last week against Auburn, I'm like, if I'm somebody, if I'm the, if I feel like I've got the athletes on defense that can hang with somebody, I'm gonna go and, and I'm gonna say, I dare you to beat me, Jake Coker, and see how and see where that takes you. Yeah, I I, I can buy that as a uh, philosophy. Now the, the thing about it is that. Uh, 
also what I'll pull out is this is the Georgia Dome in Atlanta, Georgia, which is going to be a lot closer to being a home game for Alabama than Florida. And Florida is really a different team down there in the swamp. It's they, They've got a terrific home field advantage. They're not going to have that, and Alabama's a better team. Now, that being said, Florida did beat Ole Miss 38-10, and we all know who kept Alabama from being perfect, but mm-hmm. I'm still thinking Bama. Now, the other thing that's of interest in this is that depending upon the outcome of this game, uh, assuming Baylor takes care of business against Texas, they could be seeing either Florida, Alabama, or Ole Miss in the Sugar Bowl. Not a bad cancellation prize, right? That's why. That's why I think Friday. That's why I think Saturday against Texas. There's plenty to play for for Baylor. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, there is going to be a lot to play for, and whoever Baylor. And you know, when you talk about mountains to climb. Uh, that is still a mountain for Baylor to win a major bowl game like that because they've won some of the smaller bowls, but the last few times they've gone to bowls, they've not taken care of business. And this time, if they take care of Texas, they really need to take care of uh, uh, business in a nationwide bowl. No doubt. Okay, so the last thing we want to do is to we got to pick Baylor in Texas. I'm going to say before we do that, Baylor, before we do that, before we uh-huh. do that, we got to pick West Virginia, Kansas State. Oh yeah, thank you for reminding me. K State is, I think K State is still has a chance to get bowl eligible, don't they? They do. They're at five and six. They've got to beat West Virginia uh, on Saturday afternoon. Even if they lose, they still could go to a bowl just because we don't have enough teams at six and six to fill the forty, the eighty bowl slots that are out there. But that's another story. I'm going to go with West Virginia. I think uh, their running game is really going well there with Rochelle Shell and, and uh, Wendell Smallwood. Their defense is really playing well. Kansas State's uh, offense uh, still has issues despite the fact they've put 49 on a horrendous KU team. Uh, I'm going to like – I like the Mountaineers on the road. I'm going Mountaineers just because uh, I don't think Kansas State's that good. And uh, even I think West Virginia's got enough to take them either at even at home, and I just think West Virginia's a better team. All right, Texas and Baylor, uh, Kevin. I am going Baylor. I'm not expecting the pinball scoreboard. I'm going to go Baylor 31, Texas 24. Uh, I'm going to go Baylor 24, Texas uh, 13. Uh, I think it's going to be that low scoring. I really do. I just don't think Baylor's. Uh, unless there's some big plays that they make, and they can, but I think it's going to be really low scoring, and I think the Bears will win this game um, and uh, you know get to ten and two. It'll be a struggle. It'll be very, very ugly. There'll be times when wow, this is hard to watch. Uh, you're going to hear people probably say that uh, for, on both sides of the ball, but I think the Bears will get enough done. They're healthier. They they're getting some key people that are back that are at least that are healthier than where Texas is. And I think they'll make this five out of six, and then we'll move on to the Sugar Bowl down in Atlanta. Or, excuse me, New Orleans. And New Orleans. And right now the line is Baylor by 24.5, and the over-under is 68. And I think both of our picks uh, say take the under and that uh, we don't think Baylor covers. But unless you're a gambling person, it doesn't matter as long as they get the W. Mm-hmm. No doubt. Okay. Okay, so let's call it a sports cast, and I'll see you next week, Kevin.
All right. Thanks, David. We'll talk to you then.